Good evening, Irving Church. It's good to be here with you virtually for Tuesday of our Holy Week observation. Um, I hope that you guys have been enjoying it as much as I have already. Uh, last night was really cool coming up here on Monday and getting to hear Luke talk about Jesus cleansing the temple and just getting to be together on a Monday. Uh, I know that it's uh, probably 6.30 p.m. sharp, and you men are at home with the kids just gathered around the TV in eager anticipation of this streaming of this sermon. And ladies, I know that you guys just... It's been hard to focus at Heartfelt all night because you couldn't wait to come back and uh, get home and hear this sermon. So without any further ado, uh, here we go. We're picking up where we left off uh, in Holy Week. Uh, just a little bit of a recap. On Sunday, Terry talked to us about uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, and the people are rolling out the red carpet for him. Uh, they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is coming in, starting off um, this Passover week pretty well uh, in most people's eyes. He is popular, and people are happy to see him, and he's honestly the most popular guy in Jerusalem right now. And so things are going well for Jesus on this night. But uh, last night, Luke took us uh, into the next day where Jesus goes into the temple and he starts flipping stuff over. And he makes a whip and he starts driving out all the animals and all the birds and all the money changers. And Jesus' popularity um, is going down um, since he does this. Uh, people who were shouting his name and loving him on the first day of his time in Jerusalem are probably now not as psyched about Jesus, and especially the Pharisees who didn't like Jesus in the first place uh, are trying to find even more reason now to uh, entrap him, uh, get him in trouble, and decrease his following uh, among the people. And so that is where we are going to pick up, pick up tonight uh, as we go into Tuesday night of Holy Week. So if you're going to be following along in your Bibles, everybody go to Matthew chapter 21. Okay. Um, naturally, after Jesus goes in and starts flipping tables and uh, whipping people and animals, I don't think he whipped any people, but uh, after he goes in and does all this, naturally, the question that the Pharisees have for Jesus is, who do you think you are? essentially is what they say. Uh, they come to Jesus and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus, uh, being a genius, uh, turns around and says, well, all right, I'll answer your question if you answer my question. And he talks about John the Baptist and says, hey, was John's baptism from God or man? And they say, well, shoot, if we say it's from God, then the people are going to be like, or Jesus is going to be like, why didn't you believe in him? And if we say he's from man, then the people are going to stone us because they believe he's a prophet. So they say, we don't know. And Jesus said, then neither will I tell you um, by the authority that I'm doing these things. And uh, Charles is going to talk a little bit more about uh, Jesus' altercations with the Pharisees tomorrow night. But before that, Jesus stops and he takes a little pit stop and he starts to tell some parables um, as was customary for him. And uh, I'm not going to read all these parables. Um, I'll just summarize a couple, and then we'll read the last one. But uh, essentially, um, Jesus is going to tell these parables, and what these parables are going to do is they are going to even further offend the people um, in such a way that it's hard for us to comprehend. 
Jesus is going to, with these parables, uh, really make some big enemies out of almost all of his listeners. And so this is what he had to say. He said, um, <clears throat> the first one was a parable about two sons. Uh, the first son, the father goes to both of his sons and he says, hey, y'all need to go out and work in the vineyard. Son number one says, yes, or he says, no, I won't go. But then later on, he goes and he works in the vineyard. And son number two, he says, yes, sir, I will go. But then he never goes. Okay. Now this was the first parable that Jesus told them. All right. Uh, the second parable is the parable of the tenants, as it is called. And in this parable, uh, there's a wealthy landowner, and he has this vineyard, and he rents it out to some farmers, and he goes and lives in a faraway place. And whenever he goes, um, the farmers are there, and they, keep, they take care of it. And when it comes time for harvest, the landowner sends some servants, or a servant, over there, and he goes to collect the harvest for the landowner. Well, when he gets there, this, the people who are farming uh, and taking care of the land beat the servant and strip him naked and send him back that way to the master. And then the master goes, okay, well, we'll send another servant. Same thing happens to the second servant. Third servant, or the, ser the third time, he says, you know what? They'll respect my son. And so he sends his son on this last time to go and collect the harvest from these really miserable renters. And again, not only do they beat the son, they kill him. And so Jesus is telling this story, and it's like so audacious, and I think the people even know that it's not real. They know that Jesus is just telling a, a fake story, a parable, uh, to make a point. But even though they know it's pretend, you can hear the emotion in their voice when Jesus asks them, what is the landowner going to do whenever he comes to them? And you can hear it in their voice. They say, those wretches will come to a wretched end. You know, they're just mad at this story. And so... Uh, these are the first two parables that Jesus tells. And here's the last one. If you're still following along with me, uh, chapter 22 of Matthew, starting in verse 1, says that Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened calf have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So this father is throwing a banquet for his son's wedding, and he comes and he goes to all the people who are invited and says, It's ready, and they don't come. And then he comes a second time and he says, No, seriously, it's ready right now. And we've killed the fattened calf, and it's going to be a huge, great party. Come on. And none of them come. And so this is what the father does. It says, uh, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Then the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So all that happens, and then the king comes back, and he says, And he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the father goes out and says, hey, just invite anybody. We got, we got all this food here. We got this. My, we're going to celebrate my son. We need people. So just go get anyone. Not the people that we invited. Just go invite anybody that you see. Bring them in, and they're going to celebrate my son's wedding. 
And so they go, and they brought in all these people. And so what do all these parables mean? What do these three parables have to do with each other? Well, these three parables actually all have really this, essentially the same meaning. And Jesus actually gives that meaning at the end of the first parable. So we'll go back to uh, verse 31. Listen carefully. This is what all these parables mean. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. You see, all these stories are talking about uh, these people who uh, had something, and it it belonged to them, but they gave it up, um, and somebody else is going to reap the benefits of it. In the parable of the tenants, if you go on and read the end of the story, uh, they said, yeah, those wretches are going to come to their wretched end, and also they're going to take that Uh, take that land and they're going to give it to uh, some tenants who are actually going to take care of it and give to the master what belongs to him. And so in all these parables, you see uh, a really, in the very end, it's surprising who ends up with the goods. It's surprising who ends up at the party. It's surprising who ends up uh, as the tenants of the field. It's surprising which son actually went out and did the work. And so what Jesus is coming and saying to them is, is that the kingdom I am coming and proclaiming a kingdom, and the people that you thought were going to be the ones who would have it, the people you thought were going to be the ones who would benefit from it and enjoy its blessings, are not the ones. The ones who are getting it and the ones who are enjoying it and the people who are inheriting this kingdom that I'm bringing are the people that nobody would have ever expected. And you have to imagine how that made these people feel that Jesus was talking to. Uh, just to use an illustration, you're going to have to use your imagination for this one, okay? Um, imagine that um, you're a Cowboys fan. This is already a stretch probably for some of you. But imagine you're a Cowboys fan, and you're not just a Cowboys fan. You're like a mega Cowboys fan. You're the Cowboys fan. You're part of the Cowboys fan club, okay? Um, and you're at the, this Cowboys fan club meeting, and the Cowboys this year are in the Super Bowl. Okay, I told you, you're just going to have to use your imagination, okay? But the Cowboys are in the Super Bowl this year, and we're at this, De- this Dallas Cowboys fan club meeting, and this guy walks in the door, and he comes in, and he says, Hey, guys, I'm Jerry Jones' grandson, and I have here 100 free tickets to the Super Bowl next weekend that the Cowboys are going to be in, and it's got backstage passes or whatever you would call that for a football game, uh, but you're going to be able to go and hang out with the players, and you're going to get to go meet them before the game, and it's going to be uh, great. So who wants these passes? And everybody in the room goes, Blaff, Jerry Jones's grandson, my foot. And nobody believes him, and they laugh him out of there, and the guy leaves, and that's that. And then you are sitting in your living room uh, the very next weekend, and you're watching the, the players warm up for the Super Bowl, and you see them, and all of a sudden it cuts to these guys in these nasty green Eagles jerseys who are out there throwing the football and taking pictures with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. And it cuts to them, and they say, hey, yeah, we just want to say thanks to Jerry Jones's grandson who gave us these tickets to come and hang out with the players. Super great. Thanks so much. 
These great Cowboys fans missed out on the Cowboys thing to do, the Cowboys event of a lifetime, and they handed it to some Eagles players who had nothing better to do that day. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that, hey guys, here's what Jesus is doing whenever he comes into Jerusalem, okay? Jesus is, we have to remember, the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish chosen one of God. And he's coming to Jerusalem, which is, for back of a letter, lack of a better term, uh, the capital city of the Jews. And there, in that city, is the temple of the Jewish God, where they teach the Jewish law and do the Jewish sacrifices. And all the people who live there are the Jewish people. And then this Jewish Messiah comes in, and he proclaims God's kingdom to God's people, and they reject it. These are the people who are supposed to, if anybody gets it, these are the people who should have got it. If anybody cares about God's kingdom, it should have been God's people in God's city. But Jesus has shown up as God's Messiah in God's city to God's people, and they don't want it. They don't care. They don't believe it. And what's so ironic about this is everywhere Jesus has been before, he has been the, Jew, the Jewish Messiah who is going to places where a good Jew would never go, the places that the Jews hated, like Samaria. Jesus went to Samaria, and they loved him, and, they, and almost all of them believed in him and followed him. And then Jesus would go and he would associate with people that no good Jew would associate with, with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And they were coming to believe in him and follow him. And Jesus would say things like, uh, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus would say things like, uh, the kingdom of heaven has come to this house today, to these people who are tax collectors and sinners that good Jews wouldn't even associate with. And he's touching people that the Jewish law prohibited people, that the Jewish law prohibited people from touching, like dead people and people with leprosy. And so what's crazy about all this, all, this, has been, this is just a description of Jesus' ministry all along, is that the people who should have got it, the people that you thought would have been Jesus' people, actually weren't. And the people that nobody would have ever thought of being God's people actually end up being the ones who receive him and believe in him. Now what's interesting about this passage is, you know, if you go and read a commentary or anything like that, um, most theologians will point to these passages and they'll say, okay, yeah, this is, um, this is a, a text that is pointing to how the Jews um, overlooked God's salvation and God's kingdom and God's Messiah and how uh, the kingdom is now coming to uh, the Gentiles and God is opening up his kingdom to the Gentiles. And it's a, it's a Jew-Gentile thing. And uh, while certainly that applies, and certainly that is true, that God is accepting of all people now in Jesus, and not just Jews, but also Gentiles. But that's actually not what this passage is primarily talking about. That's, that's a, a real truth, but it's coming from somewhere else. It's coming from the book of Acts. It's coming from, uh, from Paul's letters. But here, Jesus, I don't think, has in mind primarily the idea of Jews and Gentiles. See, if you go back and look, who is he saying that these are about? It says, Truly I tell you, religious Jewish people, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are coming into the kingdom of God ahead of you. You see, it's not a, a Jew-Gentile thing. It's not a race thing. This is a 
religious versus not religious person thing. This is saying that the people who looked like they had it all together, the people who looked like the good Jews, the good religious people, were missing out on God. And the people who were really coming into this relationship with God were the people that people would have never thought of that would be God's people. And you see, I think this is unfortunately a place where the American church has really missed it. You know, there's a lot of churches in America are obsessed with church growth, right? We want our churches to be big. We want a lot of people to come to our churches, and, you know, it needs to get bigger and better and awesome and all this stuff. Well, the pro- there's not really necessarily a problem with church growth in itself. I mean, that we want the church to be growing for sure. Uh, if the church isn't growing, that means it's dying. If it never, it never grows, we're all just going to grow old and die, and then the church is going to be empty. But the problem is with the strategy that most churches are going to, going for church growth with. Uh, And ideally, it's who we're going after. You see, the target new member for the ordinary American church is a husband and wife in their mid-30s who drive a nice truck and have good jobs and don't get in trouble with the law and have two and a half polite kids. Okay? And they're already pretty nice people, and we think that those people would fit in pretty good at our church. But you see, whenever we're going after these people, whenever they're the target audience, we're actually probably missing who Jesus said was the target audience. See, Jesus said it wasn't the nice people who have a lot of money and are all already pretty well put together who are the people who are coming into the kingdom. He said it's these people who we would not even think to consider to be people of God, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, People who are not esteemed in this world. People who do not have the respect. Pe- not the, pe- the people who aren't the people that everybody wants to be. Look at what uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. This is what he says. Uh, this is the kind of people that probably filled Paul's churches in the first century. Okay, He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. And who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Do you see what Paul is saying there? He's saying that the normal people, the normal person who is drawn to Christ and the offers that Jesus makes are not the people who have it all together and have a really pretty manicured life. He's saying it's these people who were foolish and these people who were not very much, who were weak in the world before they came to Christ. And I'm afraid that, I'm afraid that we all here at Irving Church want the church to grow, I think. I think most of us want that to happen. We're not trying to become like a mega church. We're not trying to be uh, all flashy lights and come to Easter and enter in a drawing to win a free car or anything like that. But we do want the church to grow. We want people to come into what the Lord is doing here. He's doing a good thing. He's doing a real thing here, and so we want more people to come into that. But 
I'm afraid that some of us have this mental picture of the kind of people that we want to be filling that pew next to us on Sunday morning. And I'm afraid that they only are people that look like us. They're only that pretty person who has a good job and has polite two or three kids. Whereas Jesus might have in mind somebody else who's coming into the kingdom. Where there's a lot better chance that the person who's saying yes to Jesus might have a face tattoo. They might be somebody that you would normally hold your breath as you walk by in the aisle at the grocery store. Jesus is reaching out to people, and he made it clear in his talks, in his parables to us tonight, that the people who are actually saying yes before those people are the ones that people wouldn't have normally guessed. And so as we're moving forward as a church, and as we're moving forward as try, in trying to grow this church into being uh, everything that the Lord wants it to be and bringing people into it, we need the Lord to open our eyes to the kind of people that he's seeing and the kind of people that are going to be responsive to the good news of Jesus Christ. And it may just look like people that we didn't expect. That's all I've got for us tonight. Tomorrow, Charles is going to be following it up with um, some more uh, confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And um, we're going to see just some of the genius as Jesus answers their questions. So uh, we really hope that you guys will join us back in person tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday night at 630. I hope that y'all continue to have an awesome Holy Week.